Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into Clojure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about Clojure Spec with Ben Brinkerhoff, the creator of Expound. Welcome to the show, Ben. Thanks a lot. It's great to be here. Great. So I wanted to start by talking about uh, Expound itself. It's a library, but what does it do? What is this? Well, maybe it would help to start with a little bit of context. You've used Spec. Spec is you know a library that is provided to do validation on, on data structures. And you can ask Spec to whether or not a data structure is valid according to the, the specification you provided. But it also has a functionality that will explain in what way the data didn't match and give you precise explanation of what is wrong. It's through the explain function. And the really cool thing about Spec is that it turns out that um, when you call sexplain to get that string, that's actually pluggable. That's something you can um, provide your own function for. When I was working on a, a project where we were validating some data that came from a third service, it was the data structure was relatively um, deeply recursive. And I found that the default message that came out of spec, it was actually relatively challenging for me to understand exactly where in the data structure um, I had something wrong, because it could be at any level. So that's how spec works out of the box. But as I mentioned, you can plug in any user-generated function to control that error printing. And so fundamentally, all Expound is, is an implementation of a, a new uh, function that will print out the explain data in a way that I find to be more precise and easier to understand with regards to where the the exact problem is in the data. Yeah, it's it's a really great tool. You know, I use it on all my projects. And yeah, I, I agree that the default spec, your messages can certainly be challenging to read, especially with large data structures or large large specs. So how does it work? And how what is it doing differently from closure spec? Sure. You can kind of get a sense of, of how it works. Um, when you call spec, you can call uh, explain, which as we mentioned, has that string representation what went wrong. But there's actually another function called explain data, which will just return all the information that spec knows about as, as regarding with the failure in a very rich data structure. And what expound does is it basically uh, is a callback, if you will, that will take that explain data and build a totally new string just from that data. So the first step is it will go and annotate that data structure with some additional things that will be helpful to print that error message out. In particular, there's some challenges with spec in, in that data structure um, that maybe we can talk about in a little bit, but it's often not quite enough data, or at least needs some interpretation to get um, more helpful error message. And then the main difference from the default spec message is that expound is designed to make sure that this part of your data that is wrong is highlighted in the context of the overall data structure, which is the problem I ran into. As I mentioned, the data we were working with was deeply uh, recursive, and so often it was three levels deep. And so what Expand will do is, is the first part will show a, a summary of the entire data structure, the entire input, and then attempt to um, provide a highlight, a series of sort of uh, characters under the bad data. It says, this is exactly where the data is that is bad. And then it follows it up with a concise representation of the exact problem, which is actually a relatively similar to how spec does it. And then finally, it will print out the specific specs that failed, which may, there may be many specs that all were related if the specs were nested. So that's the, the fundamental structure of it is to use that uh, explain data. One thing I really didn't want to do with spec, I'm sorry, with expound, is that there's other libraries out there that will actually analyze the raw spec form 
to print out better right. their messages, yep. which I think is a really cool approach. And I, I think it's it's great. But I kind of intentionally limited myself to explain data because early on in spec, I don't know if you remember some of the writings, but there was a lot of talk about how explained data would be sufficient to do sort of generic user provided printers. And, and in a way, Expound is about improving error messages, but it's also about trying out that hypothesis. Is there really enough data to do that? Um, and in in some cases, um, the answer has been there is, but it's challenging. Uh, in some cases, has there it's been well, actually there is data that is missing from that explained data that would be useful. And so, I, you know, I've created a number of Jira tickets around this this issue. But it really was an experiment of like, is that true? Is that sufficient? That this is it? We know it's pluggable. Is it um, rich enough to be pluggable? Because I'd love to see other libraries, other people be able to either manipulate expound via configuration or just write their own thing from scratch using the same explained data. It should be a, an area that we can all experiment and try different things because certainly expound has a, a lot of opinions about error messages that may not work in every scenario. Yeah. Uh, so just to, just to clarify, when you say analyzing the spec forms, you're saying people, if there's sort of a compound expression for a, a particular spec, they might go and walk all of those forms to understand, try and get some more precise Exactly. So, so what spec explained data, it will include the names of the specs, which you can then look up, but some other libraries will actually go and say like, starting at the, the actual forms, like you said, in the case of like an and spec, whereas multiple parts of it, they might look at it and say, oh, if the spec itself contains an and, maybe I will use that information to customize the way that um, the error messages are printed. Because I know about the input not only of the data, but of the input of the spec, the actual, like the, the code forms. And that's certainly available, but it's not something that Expound actually will use. It won't analyze the spec itself, just the, the results of the explain data call. Yeah. So you've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but can you talk a little bit more about sort of the, the design philosophy, maybe some of the opinions that you've had when you've been building Expound? Yeah. So one of them, as we talked about, was you know, just use explained data, don't use the forms. The other was a sense of what I wanted in, in the error messages themselves. Fundamentally, everything comes down to whether or not I can understand what the error is. That was always my primary goal, is to be able to quickly understand the, the error itself. And so that involved making some trade-offs that are quite different from the default printer but maybe not the ones that other people might make. So specifically, um, Expound is, is much more verbose than the default printer. But what I didn't want to do was to put in too much English prose that would sort of be verbose and talk about the, the error or really get into what everything means. My goal was to really have two parts. One that we discussed was clearly show the specific problem part in context. And the second part was clearly describe the specific thing they went wrong, which is almost always a predicate. Oh, you, you know, this, this int should have been a string or this map should have contained this key, you know, there's something very clear. And the other part of that, of their message itself in the design was to use, to kind of rely on the human capacity for pattern matching. So I wanted to use a lot of indentation, white space, and people can opt into having different parts of the message uh, show up in different colors as well, because ultimately I find that if the error message is consistent and is laid out in a, in a predictable way, then people often can scan that and sort of pattern match and see, okay, I see where the, the problem is. I can see what specifically is the exact predicate error. 
which speeds up the time to recognize the problem. So I wanted to rely on all those three things and then try to cut as much else as I could out and not have anything extra that sort of became skippable. I didn't want anything that was too skippable, uh, which I think, you know, I've to some degree learned some things from the initial release of Expound about what is and isn't skippable in, in the default case. But that was my goal was to not have anything too extraneous that people would have to kind of, you know, scan over and, and mostly ignore. Yeah, well, I think you've done a really good job. And yeah, certainly, I think you've achieved those goals really well. It makes a huge difference, um, particularly that finding finding the problem. At one point, I was I haven't published this. I thought it probably wouldn't be very helpful to publish it. But at one point, I was so grumpy with Specs error messages that I thought, well, I'll make my own printer that'll be more helpful than Specs one. And it was just um, a printer that printed out computer says no with the line number and column number of the file, and that was it. You know. I thought well, it's like just go here. Yeah, just go here and that'll be more more useful than than the the, the volumes of code. But yeah, that was you know, expanding. I saw someone else say that yeah, they they just worked in very small increments and would sort of they would see the error message and then they would just sort of revert the last thing they did was sort of the their flow. And there's different strategies you could use there and different attempts to to use the explained data differently. When I originally had the problem, I actually uh Around the same time, I was being frustrated with not being able to locate the problem. And uh, I had read that the, the printing was user configurable, but I, I hadn't really looked into it. And then I saw a gist actually by um, Stuart Holloway, because I think a lot of people have been talking about this. Like, is it really? And he did, uh, I think, uh, I have it here. It's like a 26 line, actually less than that. Some of this is comments, just showing like how, you know, how you could plug into this thing. And that was kind of the inspiration to start it. The funny thing is, is that uh, at the time, we have this very, so spec is a really big library. I don't know how much of it you end up using, but like, I feel like everyone's using their own little corner of it. You know, there's the, oh, you can get something over the wire or off a, you know, grab some Eden from disk and validate it. There's the whole instrumentation piece. There's the whole generative testing piece. There's just like a lot of, a lot of stuff that you can do with it. And so we were just using like a very small portion of the spec function that we were it's almost like we were validating, it was something sort of analogous to like hiccup data structures, right? So it was like, we were only using like vectors and like basic uh, type uh, predicates and we were only using it for like stuff coming over the wire. So at the time, it didn't seem like that hard to do. And I just implemented that piece of it, which was like, yeah, just like print out this part for recursive data structure, <laughs> show where it is, done, you know? And I released it with having no idea that like, it was a larger project than that. And then there was all these like really interesting corner cases, which I had never run into. And so after I released, you know, the original version, there was requests from people doing, using the other parts of it that I've slowly added and certainly not completed. And anyway, I was looking at uh, this interview. I was looking back. I was like, Oh, I remember it's too, I don't know. I did that like gist. And I was like, I wonder if I can find that thing. And I found it. And the funny thing is, is like, I never noticed this before when I was looking, when I saw it originally, but he's got this two line comment at the top. And it says like, this is only halfway done. Someone else will have to do the other 95%. And I did not look at that when I started. Uh, and he was very smart. Uh, and I had totally underestimated the, the difficulty. Um, and I was talking with my wife about it. And she was like, and now you've done like the next 50%. There's only like 90% left, right? And I was like, yeah, that feels, that's about right. I think there's still about 90% left. Uh, with all the interesting cases and all the features. But yeah, there's definitely just a lot of surface area for spec when you want to when you want to tie into the printer because it does does do a lot. It reminds me a little bit of that maybe apocryphal story about the professor who writes up the impossible proof on the blackboard mm. and the you know, the student's late to class and he takes down the proof and then 
doesn't realize that it's impossible and then yeah, comes to class the next day with the with the solution right <laughs> sometimes it's better to know that it's not like yeah and considered hard you just sort of your ignorance is like a wonderful gift you're willing to like jump in and try something or at least you know do the useful part of it and then you don't realize it's sort of a there's a a, a long tail of of additional work the other things that I wanted to do, uh, sorry to like to circle back to stuff that like goals, I guess, and, and ideas behind Expound that I've been trying to focus on is when you get into error messages, you know, there's there's often so error messages are sort of a generally interesting topic in, in closure. And what I wanted to do, I realized reasonably quickly that like Expound couldn't work in, in general on error messages. It just needed to be a little bit focused. So it's not a good library if you want to present error messages to end users. And it's not designed to be. It's, it's definitely developer focused. There's a library called Phrase, which I haven't used myself, but looks really cool. That is designed to use spec um, for end user error messages. Like if you want to validate a form and use spec, which is, is a really cool use case. And then it's also um, it's not sort of like tackling other sources of, of potentially confusing error messages. It's really just about spec error messages. Kind of anything that anything that spec will print out, Expand will try to sort of be in that space, but not more generally. And then the third thing I guess I would say is that I tried really hard to um, resist the temptation to add any dependencies. If you look at Expound, it doesn't actually have any dependencies at all except for Clojure, obviously, and uh, Spec itself. And that's because just generally I, I want I want it to be ideally as much of a no-brainer as possible either for end users to be able to, to get it along with Spec or if a, if a library wants to use Expound to say print out or help with a printing of configuration errors or something like that. I don't want them to have to take on too many other depths. And sometimes that's a, a downside. Certainly there's some cases where printing out certain data structures would be cleaner um, in, a, in a more robust implementation of pretty printing or someone else has already done some work to like give a really good summary format of, of like specs, like nested specs themselves, the specs, spec data. And so like sometimes Expound will suffer from, from not taking advantage of that hard work and the good ideas elsewhere, but I didn't want to be really focused on making it low risk to adopt as far as the dependencies. Nice. Yeah, that's a, a good philosophy to have. I think, yeah, a lot of good closure software is pretty low risk like that. Absolutely. So one of the features I saw uh, in Expound is that it allows you to add your own custom not really doc strings but more error messages would you say to go along with the spec itself that's right Can you talk a little bit about metadata and and that sort of stuff yeah so spec doesn't currently at least at the last time i checked um, support the idea of metadata on specs i know that this is something that's been discussed and um, it absolutely be, may be coming in a future version but one thing that i heard feedback on was that people would often have predicates which didn't fully describe or succinctly describe the actual issue at hand. So an example would be someone wrote a predicate that validated an email address. And, and this by default, both the spec error message and expound error message will just say, this string failed, you know, is email or some function name. The function name is the thing that you, you, you will see in the error message. So one feature that you can do in expound, if you want to make... Uh, change that is for any predicate you can register a string that should follow the format of something like should be an email or uh, you know should be a vector containing ints or something any any sort of human readable string that you want there if you find that that's easier to parse when you're trying to find out the error and you can register those either by 
adding them after the fact. You can sort of add them to existing predicates uh, that you've already used or existing specs you've already used with uh, spec, or you can more succinctly declare your specs by calling a special macro in expound itself that will give, let you give this the, the spec keyword and the predicate and an, a message. It's not the most flexible right now. There's some limitations on how you can use it, and I'd like to expand um, that capabilities. So there's a couple of tickets in expound about that. And there's actually, I don't think anyone's using it, but I, just for fun, I went in, in, in expound, there's actually a namespace that um, redefines slightly more clear error messages for a bunch of um, types like, uh, you know, string and, Ooh, and whatever, nice. vector and everything like that. So you can include that. And if they, though that namespace gets included, um, you know, you'll suddenly go from error messages that say something about should satisfy string question mark to should be a string. Um, and I've just sort of provided those um, as a default and you can kind of see how it works. But so if you include that library or include that, sorry, uh, namespace, that'll happen automatically. And the way that works is there's just a totally different registry outside of spec that is inside of expound that will keep all those and let you, you know, add them and delete them and, and introspect them. It's um, hard coded now. So all you kind of get is a string, like a literal string. I've toyed with the idea of maybe allowing people to potentially register a callback there where you could provide a function that would take the data and, and sort of generatively generate that string. But I did it and then I didn't really hear a lot of demand for it. So I've kind of been paused and waiting to see if it's actually useful or because it's not really, it does add a little complexity to the API and I don't really want to do it unless it's going to be a clear win. So it's something I've thought about, but I haven't really committed to yet. Because the error messages elsewhere will have the specific value that that failed the spec, won't they? So you can see, you can see together with the with that. Yes, it will still have the value that failed. That is not currently uh, changeable in the same part. You, you still see where it is. All that will happen is um, if you if you see a default expound message, I guess it's a little hard to describe, but it, it'll say this value, you know, whatever uh, ABC, and then the next line will say should satisfy string question mark. And the only thing this will do is kind of take out that should satisfy string question mark and replace it with should be a string or something else more human readable that's a little less uh, computer looking. Um, so you still get the same location of air, air locality, but you just change the predicate printing in this in this feature. Um, and the, it, again, this only works, if, of course, if you use expound. This is totally backwards compatible with normal spec. And if you go back to using just S explain, all of those human readable strings that you've created just will do nothing. You know, they won't show up because obviously spec doesn't know about them. So it's, it's an opt-in sort of additive feature. Yeah. So you've kind of talked a little bit about uh, some of the tickets and issues that you filed mm-hmm. um, against spec as you've been sort of testing out this hypothesis about mm-hmm. pluggable, uh, explain uh, your know, pluggable printers. Are there any kind of ones still outstanding that are sort of pretty thorny or, you know, with uh, with discussing there i haven't been as good as i should be about sort of keeping up on them and and keeping up on the new spec changes um one that i really want to include in expound and i don't know if it's gotten resolved to be perfectly frank but originally there was a difference with like so when you can instrument a function in spec which means like you provide a, a spec and it will be invoked when you call that function and it's tied to the function name you know you'll say mm-hmm. well yep. you know my string Construct email takes two strings and we'll put them together or something. Uh, and you can say that. And originally there was a difference between that explain data 
and the explained data that would happen when uh, a, a macro was expanded, which also will do some spec checking. And I believe it was the in the macro case, it didn't include the actual name of the macro, and in the function case, it did. So what I really wanted to do in expounding, you'll see it if you do a macro wrong, is it just sort of gives you this funny looking error that says, you try to expand, you know, a let form, but you don't see the word let anywhere in the error message. It's sort of missing and it looks very strange. And what I wanted to do was always say, like, construct something that was closer to what the user put in, which was like let, you know, and then the arguments or whatever. So I don't know if that's gotten fixed, but that was something that I think would make a huge improvement um, because when we talked about clearly locating where the error is, I think being able to show people something that looks like the input that they gave consistently is important. There's a lot of challenges there because, as I mentioned, spec has this big surface area, and sometimes the things that you want to see in an instrument error might be very different from the things you want to see when you are checking data on disk or checking data that comes over the wire. So there's, there, I try to kind of split the difference in expound and, and add some configuration, but it's not always successful. Anyway, that's one thing that I'd like to see added if it hasn't been already. The, I will say the number one thing that made expound challenging is the fact that explain data will contain a path. I say path, it's, it's not the kind of path you, we think about normally into a data structure, but it can contain a path called the in path. And the semantics of the in path is it's supposed to be a description of where in the data the bad data occurred. Okay, so like, let's say in a very simple case, you passed in a vector, it was supposed to be a vector of ints, but the second item was not an int, it was a string. Okay, so the in path will say, uh, it's a vector, and the first element will be a one, indicating the, first, the, the second, you know, element in that vector, if I've got my vector math right. So unfortunately, my intuition there was like, oh, that's like a path you could pass to get in, and you can just sort of walk the tree, or whatever, and I can just find the, the data that way. Um, and that's not true because it needs to be more complicated. For instance, you could have a spec where the problem is in a map, but the map, the problem isn't in the value, but it's in the key itself, right? So you could have a, a spec that says, hey, this is a map of strings to ints. And then the third key is not a string. It's a keyword. And when you think about a get in path, you sort of can provide the key to get the value, but you can't really just talk about the key itself. When, you, when you're using get in, right. I don't know if that makes sense, but you, yeah. you don't have a descriptor for the, the key. And so spec has created, it's a different notion of path, which allows you to describe a bunch of different places and data where things could go wrong, including the key itself, or if you have a list, something that normally wouldn't be indexable by um, just a number, you'd have to sort of do yeah. nth or whatever. It can also go into lists. It can do all these different things. And so as a result, that in path, is not trivially usable. Uh, spec, to my knowledge, at this point, does not provide a function that is similar to get in, which is, hey, given this in path and a data structure, please tell me what this points to. It doesn't have that. And to make matters more complicated, that in path is ambiguous, mm. or at least I should say context dependent uh, on the data structure. So I actually have a gist out, which we can maybe put in the show notes, where um, I, I took the path the in path from explain data. Uh, and the path is a vector of one and zero, right? So first element's one, second element's zero. And then I showed that there are um, four different data structures that are very different. One of them is like a, a collection of, of uh, vectors. One of them is a collection of, of maps. 
One of them is a collection of tuples. There's a bunch of different things you can, you can create and they all can validly say that this path will point them at totally different values, right? So you can't just from like the, the, the path itself be able to know how to do it. You have to sort of like introspect the data at every level and then sort of make a guess, educated guess. Like what does one mean here? It might mean the first element or it might mean that I'm talking about the key one or like the first part of a map. It's like, it gets really messy. So there's this whole like messy area of expound that is like all about trying to like figure out what the heck at any level the in-path means based on the context of the data. And this is all in service of being able to do that one part of the expound error message, which is given this big data structure, where's the part that's bad? I'm trying to like figure that out. Um, and it creates just a bunch of like bugs and problems and stuff like that. So then my number one request, it's a very long answer to a short question. My very number one request is if that was possible to make that an unambiguous thing and maybe even spec to provide an API around using that in paths and the library authors don't have to sort of re-implement all the hacky logic I did around this. That would be huge to be able to give more insight into the, into the bad data. And it's a problem, honestly, even for users. If you look at and explain data, uh, or sorry, explain as the default message, like, and it, it will print out, here's the in path. And you sort of need to know as a user, sometimes like how to read that. What does one zero mean? It's like, oh, well, depends, you know, depends on the data structure. Yeah. I, I haven't, haven't learned all of the, the subtleties of, of the end data. I usually just sort of walk my way to the val and see what val it's talking about and see if I can find the spec that it's talking about. And then those two usually have enough information to to figure out what went wrong. Totally. I find that, yeah, that's exactly right. It's like, it's like you don't generally want to un- like understand the intricacies. So you sort of tend to ignore it. And um, as a result, like out of the box, it's like sometimes hard if you have the same value, maybe more than one time in the spec, it can be hard to understand where, which one is actually wrong for what reason. But usually the spec and the, the value is enough. Yeah. And so uh, there's been some recent changes in spec uh, that have been making a little bit of changes to the error messages. Uh, yeah. And it looks like that's, I mean, break sounds kind of negative because, you know, spec's always been an alpha, but you need to, looks like you might need to update expound to work with the new new version of spec. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. In some cases, yes. Um, there's been some changes that I haven't really gotten around to doing, but around kind of like air printing and, and how you can tie in, for, especially around macro expansion. And I, I need to like sit down and figure out what the matrix is. But I think if you move to a newer version of closure, it might resolve itself. And uh, anyway, I've got a warning on the top of the expand readme because I haven't really dug into like, you know, what's safe to do and what's not. But yeah, there's a little bit of that. Um, and there have been some minor breaking changes for, again, like you said, it's alpha. I knew that going in, like it's not a big deal. But around like sort of how... Um, certain types of errors will have special values in, in part of the explained data. All that's pretty easy to fix, to be frank. That's not like a really big deal. I think that the exciting thing with the recent changes is that they've made some really good changes to the default experience, both with, it used to be that even with um, expound or with the default explain, you would get the error message and then you would sort of get this huge output of where they literally print all of the explained data right afterwards, which is yeah. usually not what you wanted because you sort of wanted the, the, the reason you called explain was to get a more human readable version of that. And I think with the new versions of closure alpha since alpha something, they've changed that behavior, which is, which is really great. 
I know the default printer, they changed the line order. Like they look at the in length and also this path length, which is, or sorry, the, uh, another path in the uh, explained data. And they're sort of like trying to get the most important problem to the top for the default printer, which is great. So there's a couple of things that they've changed in both the structure as well as the default printer. And then in addition to that, they've also changed in the core specs. So there's a separate library, right? There's uh, closure spec, which is the validation library. And then there's core specs, plural, which is some uh, some specs for the some macros, some of the macros you use, like let and ns and a few others. And I know they've also recently updated that, which is cool because they restructured the specs, um, named them differently, and named some predicates differently, such that when something fails, the default printer, it will be clear what's going on. The names mean something more useful. And that's also useful for expound, because expound doesn't really know anything about the structure of the specs, but it will print out the predicate by default. So to the degree that that's like a clearer better named predicate, or that the number of specs that failed is, is smaller or more clear, it just helps everyone to like kind of clean up those specs. So that's been really great too. Yeah. One of the things that uh, I've, I've talked with, you know, people about Specular messages, it's been around for is it two years or more now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, at least. Uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, I love Expound. Uh, it's a great library, but one of the things that's perhaps a little bit of a shame is that uh, if we kind of splinter off into you know, many different ways of printing spec error messages. We kind of lose the the Google ability of of these things because mm. your error message uh, is going to look different to my error message. It's going to, you know, and if it's up to the IDEs themselves to do this, then their their error messages are going to look different to the ones. And you know, yeah, it just uh, seems like uh, there's there's something lost there um, when you can't uh, search for uh, an error message in Google, which is kind of you could look down on it a little bit and say, well, you know, why, why do you need to use Google for, for this? Like you should, you, you know, figure it out yourself. But uh, I, I definitely think there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of value to be able to localize an error uh, and find some, some discussion about that. Right. To, yeah, exactly. To have some sort of common, yeah, some common language around the types of errors. So to be able to understand it um, in a way that the community can provide help and I think it's it's a really interesting thing because I, I agree with it, but then there's, and there's this flip side of like, realistically, like, you know, I don't think that the text of error messages generally are, are going to change. And so it is going to be up to the the community and then the, the situation that we find ourselves in. So there's a question of like, how do we, how, how do we best try to come up? Should we be coming up with a standard or is there, you know, a standard to be had? Or is it true that the benefits of customization for people's error messages helps them at various points in their at the, in their sort of closure journey which I'm, I'm just not i honestly don't know the answer i, I put out a, a just a total proof of concept a while ago last summer maybe a little before that was like a, a version of revelry line that sort of had expound plugged in by default and and i think uh pyro plugged in by default and a few other things and it was really interesting because some people would say oh that's great like i would love to use that you know it'd be great for beginners and then the people said like i would please don't make that the default like, uh, you know, I don't want that default. I, I'm a more experienced closureist and I wouldn't want all this extra stuff, you know, in my, my REPL. And I was like, I totally see, you know, both sides of that. On the one hand, like having it by default and, and, and something common is, is helpful so we can all communicate. But on the other hand, people do have a sense that, you know, we're all endlessly editing our <laughs> editors and every aspect of our development. And so like people have very, are very particular about what they want. And I think that to some extent, um, it's, you know, you get to this point where 
you, if you overdo it, you sort of like don't have something that's useful for people, uh, people who maybe have a better context on, on exactly what, um, or don't need as much verbosity in, in some of the air messages, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would probably tend to agree that that comes down more in favor of more specific error messages can be more useful so that you might not even need to, to Google for it if there's enough information, you know, there at in the REPL right. staring at you in the face. Ideally, or some sort of, you know, we need some sort of repos- Googleable repository that has like lots of Google, uh, uh, whatever, like PageRank that like, you know, like all of the other messages, like a translator, you know, uh, we need to put that on CLJ doc or something, uh, some sort of like well-known resource where you can Google what this means and it will show you all the other interpretations and I'll point back to the same thing. So yeah, that, that sounds like an easy project. No problem. No problem. <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, with, with spec, uh, spec, if you've got the data, you could theoretically at least be able to sort of look up some, you know, some ID for, you know, in a SOC era with these parameters, right? Like that gives you, you can look up and that's like closure error message 903. Yeah. And you click on that and. Yeah. I know there's some other languages that have done this idea of like, you, you know, you sort of get the succinct version for a while or by default, and then you get like a, like a error code lets you sort of look it up more generally. Um, and it's an interesting idea. Like it allows you people to sort of opt into the exact amount of detail they want I know that I believe if I remember correctly, Alex Miller said something about like, you know, the cost of that is, is something to the effect of like, you know, now you have this API that errors are supposed to be part of the API and backwards compatible. So that's the downside, but it would be really handy to have something that was, you know, some, a little more permanent that people could uh, understand as like the core identity of a class of errors and be able to read up on it. There's a, a project called, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it. Uh, it's like the error messages catalog maybe for closure that like was this effort to go and it has like the original error message and it has this long description of exactly what went wrong right it's on github mm. um like I, I can find it later but like you know it's like that idea of like listen like we've named we've numbered it um and i don't know that they intended to be looked up by number but certainly you could google the original thing if you get your google uh, search perfect and, and cut out all the extraneous detail and it will tell you kind of what it means like what what's supposed to be happening i think it's a really interesting idea if you could get that into the REPL experience um, somehow of saying like, there's, you know, there's more you could do here. You know, I think it's, it's a little bit dangerous to do that by default. I remember, as may not be surprising, I, all the expound stuff leans heavily upon Elm error messages. That certainly was, was one of the main inspirations. I was doing a very tiny bit of Elm and saw how great error messages could be. And so when I first worked on expound, I was sort of like, I'm going to do exactly what Elm's doing, you know? And it was really interesting. I when one of the, my, talked about it at the local Denver closure group, somebody gave me really good feedback and they said, you know, uh, Elm does some really good stuff, but it also has this more long form textual description. And his feedback was, I like that was only useful like the first time I read it. And then I like start, like then it was just noise. Like I did never use it again and I wish it was gone. Right. So this is like really interesting balance. Like when, when do you want to like opt into more things? And then when do you want it to be, like as succinct as possible. So you can just like pattern match, find it and move on. You know, I don't know what the right balance is. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tricky to, and, and I guess maybe sort of the, the high level problem there is our tools for displaying these errors are pretty limited. Like we've just got a sort of non-editable, generally, you know, non-editable text output in the REPL. Right. What would be really interesting is to 
have a set of ways that for any given REPL configuration, at least a, a hook to change the error messages. So that whether that's NREPL or UnREPL or your, you want the new, um, like the old socket REPL or the new stuff that's coming out in 110, any of those to say, hey, here's the way that like, you, no matter what editor you're using, you can set up your REPL in sort of a user configure way, almost like a, an editor config that would be a REPL config that you could set up and, and control these things. Because there is some really interesting work going on in the space of rewriting error messages. If you could get those hooks generally, like there's this Maria Cloud project that rewrites error messages. There's a project called Babel um, coming out of the University of Minnesota Morris that is working on like taking standard closure error messages, you know, and, and doing a rewrite for to use them in a beginner course. So there's really cool work in there, but it's like, how do you get that? That's cool tech. How do you get that where to where programmers are actually programming, which is often in like the editor connected REPLs in their connection protocol of choice. Yeah, yeah, so it's a tricky problem, certainly. So uh, you touched on uh, some other spec uh, spec error message tools. So kind of what, what else is out there in the landscape that people should be looking at? Yeah, there's a ton of really cool stuff. Um, three things that sort of come to mind in the spec space is uh, Pinpointer is a, is a library that's also like Expound, sort of a diff- different printer for spec error messages. Um, it focuses on using the, does a deep analysis of the spec form itself. And as a result, it can has some capabilities that Expound doesn't have. And around, one of those is um, you can use, you can kind of, so there's a functionality in, in spec that is around called a conformer that allows you to change the, the data structure as you're validating it in spec. There's some reasons why that's kind of an advanced feature that I think uh, is recommended people try to avoid or at least use very cautiously. But if you do use that, well, it can handle that better, um, which is really cool. And it just has a different set of trade-offs as far as the, the actual um, way that it prints stuff out. So Pinpointer is cool. If anyone wants to do error messages for end users, I've heard phrases really cool. I've looked at the readme, haven't used it, um, but it will let you construct sort of user-friendly error messages for forms and stuff. And then in the space of more generally exploring specs, uh, inspectable is a, like a UI explorer when specs fail, which I think is a really cool idea. So when you get an error, you sort of, in some cases, you do really want text. Like it's on CI or it's in your tests and you're like, I don't have a, like the ability to interact with it. But maybe at the REPL, actually text is kind of the wrong approach in general, potentially. You could say, no, what I really want is it to pop up some you know website or some UI kit thing that I can like inter- check it out and like try stuff or anyway just explore the whole the whole airspace. So I think that's a really cool idea, and I think that like when the cool thing about spec exposing the problems as data, and now in uh, closure one ten, increasingly just airs more as data, or at least a, a sort of more consistent data, is that it opens up this idea that maybe we're not constrained to just looking at errors as text. Nice. So are there any kind of future directions? I mean, I'm sure you've got you know, many ideas for Expound, but are there any kind of particular ones that seem, you know, at least sort of feasible or likely that you're thinking about working on further? Yeah. So there's a few things around improving kind of the holes in Expound. And one of them, as I mentioned, is if you have, you have data that conforms and so it sort of changes shape. And this can happen even in the default specs. Won't go into it too much, but like you can have data that will change shape as you're validating it. Expound currently kind of like gives an error and, and gives up right away, um, which isn't great. Um, and so I'm working, I've been working for a while on ways to do that a little more reasonably. 
so the so you don't have these edge cases that you expound doesn't give you any useful data. I feel like you, we could give better data in that in those cases. So that's been something I've been working on that comes uh, should be hopefully coming relatively soon. There's also uh, some additional work on how specs can be very the specs that branch a lot with a lot of ors. You, it can be sometimes challenging to know how many variations to show. You know, when it can be one of six options, that has this very interesting trade-off with you want to show all six ways that you could fix the error that could be the problem. But then on the other hand, if you've got deeply recursive data that um, has two paths at every point, or it could be could be something or it could be nil, you sort of can inspect or in expound, you can show up with these error messages that like tell you at every level, hey, it could be valid or it could be nil. It could be valid, you could be nil. Like you don't really care about all that. It can be way too verbose in some cases. So I think um, I want to work more on being a little bit more opinionated, opinionated about what data I show um, and expound. So those are two things. And then just kind of keeping up with API changes is the other is the other big one. I know that, or I have heard that spec is um, undergoing sort of a rewrite and, or, or at least a, some significant changes. I don't know when that will come out or to what degree, but I expect that there will be uh, some, <laughs> potentially some additional work on the expound side to adapt to that. Yeah. And so one of the things that I've, I often use when I'm using projects with spec is uh, another tool called Orchestra, which adds uh, spec checking by default to the, the RET and FN uh, specs that you can put on on functions. Uh, do you have any kind of thoughts on that area, what the trade-offs are? Yeah, I love Orchestra. I definitely use it, use it myself. So yeah, by default, you know, spec doesn't do the RET checking or the, the function checking. So I think you know, the argument against doing the ret checking is that I can certainly understand the, the point of view that you don't want to do it. And the argument is like you're doing unnecessary work to the degree that those specs are already well vetted. So if you were to instrument um, map in the, in the standard library, right? And then every time map returns something, it was like checking that the return type uh, was correct. I'm like, I, I can see it's not free. Like this guy could slow down your program and people could opt into that accidentally. And it's just completely unnecessary work. However, for my projects, for user projects, I think of specs and tests as sort of mutually supporting each other in a sense, right? So I'll write um, a spec. And one thing I might do is to write the spec to document my assumptions about the inputs and the outputs. And then I might have a bunch of unit tests that I've written that are example-based tests or just maybe even generative tests, but they don't use the whole spec machinery, right? And I want my specs to check the ret on the ret specs on those because I want to validate that I've gotten the ret spec correct. There's this danger that I could write it, and unless I happen to use the exact function in, in spec that will um, check this, which is called check, I run this risk that like my ret specs get out of date and are wrong. And now I'm actually misleading anyone else who looks at this project or myself, you know, because I haven't actually done any validation. So I like to use my example-based test to validate that the specs are correct and they use my specs to validate that the input's correct. And they sort of they sort of complement each other in this really good way. And that's often like very much what is a the right amount of validation, especially early in a project. I understand that the spec can do this generative testing, but often 
like I'm just working at the REPL or I'm just writing a few example-based tests to give myself a little bit of confidence and I'm not quite ready to go to the high bar of necessarily doing all generative testing on a, you know, on a simple helper function, but I still want to document it. And so the fact that when, before Christopher came out, the fact that we, there wasn't any RETS checking led me actually to this weird place where I was omitting the return spec just because I was, I would rather have it be missing than have it be out of date. I really didn't want that case. And I wasn't ready to generally test things because perhaps my spec was intentionally incomplete. One of the great things about spec is you don't have to be perfectly precise. You could start with, hey, this is a map to a map. That might not be completely accurate, but that could give you some level of safety that this function takes a map and returns a map. And then you can go and layer in more detail, right? Well, if you do that with a generative test, that's not true at all. It's going to generate any, any map in the world and your, your function is going to totally blow up, right? And it's going to like say like, yeah, it's not valid at all. You're like, ah, right. I didn't really mean any map to map, but I just wanted that amount of safety. And I wanted to like my test to validate that my specs were at least like, even if they weren't 100% perfectly accurate in the sense of being complete, they were a bound on it. They were a bound on my function in some way. So... I'm really in favor of, of the, the, the richer spec checking. I think it gives you this really nice smooth curve where you can kind of opt in to all the different layers of validation you want, which of course ends in completely generatively tested, completely accurate specs with the provide perfect documentation. But I like to have a, a spectrum there that I can kind of opt into. Yeah. The, the other thing that I've found really useful with those uh, rich specs is the localization of the tests that when you're writing a test, it's not always possible or you're writing a higher level test which goes through you know three or four different functions and so your error may just pop out as being nil at the end when you expected some value and you could have caught it right absolutely or there's specs that or there's uh, specs on functions that um, aren't realistic to generally test right they might have um, side effects or require mocks or be something that you actually don't even test you just want to like invoke at um maybe like runtime at dev time where you're like listen i've got all this you know ui code over here that may be like really hard to unit test. But yeah, when I'm doing development, I'm clicking around the app. I love to get like super good um, localization of, of errors, you know, and I want to opt into that at that level. I think there's just a lot of cases where generative testing is, isn't necessarily, it's not that it's not good. It's just not yet cost effective. And I think tying the, the, the spec checking specifically to that in all cases um, omits some, some interesting approaches that you could take to, to doing some validation. Yeah. So you've been thinking about your messages. How long has Expand been around for? It's more than a year, is it? Two? Yeah. Let's see. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little over a year. I think I wrote this down. See, June June of two thousand seventeen is when it first came out. Okay. So you've been sort of thinking about your messages for for quite a while now, and you, know, you mentioned before you've been inspired by Elm's era messages. Uh, so do you going to have any any thoughts about sort of higher level era messages in general? Anything there beyond just specifically spec? Yeah, it's actually an interesting problem in the closure space in general, especially because so spec's been out for a couple of years now. And um, one thing that at the time, at least it was my impression, was that it was not only this positioned as a solution to specking data over the wire, but it was it was going to help with this, you know, the REPL experience or, the, or, or you know, when you call function instrumentation was going to be this way to solve error messages more generally. And it was interesting. I saw something relatively recently on uh, Closureverse from Alex Miller, and I, I don't want to mischaracterize what he said, but uh, he was saying that spec was targeted at describing 
it was really good when you describe concrete things. Like this was supposed to be, you know, you pass me an int, it was supposed to be a string. It's very concrete. But he was saying that, um, you know, a lot of the core functions are incredibly abstract and polymorphic. When you call map, the second argument is not necessarily a function, right? It's a, it could be a function or it could be a keyword or it could be a set, right? It's like, it's whatever, it implements the IFN, whatever, you know, like the general idea of a function in this abstract way. And there's a lot of functions in Clojure that are like that. That's like the spec message would be something like, you know, must be seekable, I guess, or like something even more <laughs> just sort of general. It just has this like very, and in a way that wouldn't necessarily lead to a, okay, like this thing should be IFN. What does that mean? Is, you know, I passed an int. Is int IFN? I don't know what, you know, if you, if you're, especially if you're a beginner, you may not really have any idea what that means. Right. And so he, he said in this Clojureverse post that, you know, they've been talking a lot about this tension and until they resolve it, they don't think that they're going to have this, this general expansive set of specs for the core library, which has been something that we've, I think as a community, or at least I have been waiting for some time saying, oh, this would be really cool when we get, you know, when core.specs is much larger. So, you know, I think it's really challenging. I know a couple of people have attempted to do their own sort of spikes at, um, implementing the core specs themselves and just it just immediately it's just a very challenging effort to to do that correctly. So I guess it's like I'm I'm at this point where I'm thinking about, okay, if specs aren't if it's a great tool for for some cases, but it's not going to be the general solution for when you fire up a REPL for the first time, you're just going to get all this built-in error messages. What do we as a community like expect to do? And I think that like I get come back to this idea of like, could we rewrite specs? Could we use stuff like you know, Maria.cloud or Babel and have this idea that when you fire up your REPL that we could either share a beginner like uh, optimized REPL or that every developer could kind of configure their own REPL in a way that we rewrite them and have the same priorities of saying like, I really want to describe exactly where the problem is. I really want to describe exactly what the problem is across the board in a more consistent way. Eric Norman had a really good post. I don't know if you saw it about kind of how error messages are are accidental enclosure like they're not bad they're just often they're missing like they we just go straight down through the closure to the host language and so it's interesting to think about like could we is it would it be viable to map those accidental messages to more clear messages that help the entire community understand what's going on i don't know i think it's a really interesting like area of of research of, of figuring out if that's viable and if we run into the problem as you mentioned earlier of just all sort of programming in like a slightly different language that all that none of our error messages at all line up that we can't help each other, which would be a downside. Yeah. One other thing that I've kind of noticed in the the wider programming community in general, I think, is since whenever Elm did that that really uh great post about the error messages in Elm, I don't know, maybe two years or more ago, that I kind of see people sort of uh, from many different language communities kind of fed up with their error messages. They go, why can't we have messages like Elms? Like there's sort of this thing where people have tolerated uh, you know, across the, the entire spectrum, tolerated bad error messages for, for so long. Right. It's just been, that's just the way it is. And, you know, different languages sort of, you know, on a spectrum of better and better and worse, but nobody, nobody's had great error messages or, you know, maybe there are some, but certainly Elm was the first one that I, I can think of as being sort of held up as like, here's what we need. Right. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of an interesting, you know, wider change that you see, you see that inspiration being cited a lot by you, by, by many other languages and tools, which is pretty, pretty cool. 
It was. I mean, it was certainly one, and you know, we're probably ignoring some, you know, decades of hard work that you saw the project put in that I'm just <laughs> ignorant of. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it was the one that I saw first, and then since then, I do agree, it sort of changed the landscape of what people look for. I, I you know, certainly not been able to absorb as much as I'd like, but I know that like I've seen posts from Reason, ML and their messages and Rust, uh, Earn is another one um, that I remember seeing a post on. And like, there's just a bunch of people who are doing really interesting work in this space. And I, I do think it, it has like Elm, you know, popularized this idea that this is a, a feature that you want in your message. And it's a, it's a big part of your interaction mode with the programming language right? It's a big part of the UI and that it can be much better. And I think that the landscape has changed since certainly I started using Clojure in terms of what the state of the art here is. And if, if Clojure, I hope that Clojure um, can provide this either as third-party libraries or as part of core or some combination thereof, but if it's not going to be, if it's not going to compete on that axis, then I think that it falls upon us to explain more clearly our alternate UX. One of the things that I found hard moving to Clojure was that the practice of Clojure was so different than what I'd done in Ruby, right? I was expecting like, I'm going to have fast startup times. I'm going to do a bunch of tests. I'm going to like, you know, run the tests all the time. I'm going to, you know, get clear error messages. And I'm going to, like, I had this whole like mode of what programming was. And it was like pretty much the same between my Ruby and the other languages I used. And then Clojure came along and, and I, it took me a very long time to see that like, oh wait, people are using like par edit and they're like having repls that are like in their editor and they're like not relying on the error messages necessarily. And they're like, their processes run all day. It's like a totally different set of practices. And I think that, you know, I've seen some talk about saying like, well, you can debug clearly or even more quickly if you don't rely on necessarily your messages, but you you know, break the problem down or you do small changes or all these other things that I do think it's important to the, the program, the closure community. But I think that if we want to continue to grow and make people feel welcome, that we have to have an answer for like, A, I hope the air messages get better and B, to the degree that they're not going to like compete with Elm, that it's like, it's okay. And we're going to show you how to be effective and we're going to show you how to quickly resolve problems. And we're going to show you how to immediately have confidence in your program in the closure way. And I don't know what the best way to communicate that is, but I do feel like that's something that often people find confusing when they when they join. Yeah, I agree. And I think telling people to put in two or three years worth of learning to get productive with with all of these advanced tools that, that let you do that probably isn't going to fly for, for many people. Exactly. Right. It's it's you you'd like to have at least a I think it's a smoother ramp up curve to help people when they're motivated. But then also I think on the flip side, like clearly demonstrate and people have done great work in the, this area, but clearly demonstrate like what people are shooting for. And I think to the extent that people have done screencasts and videos and stuff like that, that is often a better indicator of what is possible than, you know, text on a screen that doesn't always communicate what the experience of closure is like. So yeah, it's multifaceted for sure. There has to be advertisement and explanations in a bunch of formats. Mm. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on and talking about spec and the error messages. And you know, I'm going to be following along with, with what's coming along with spec and with what you're putting out. Uh, so yeah, it's a really interesting time for closure and for the, for the world. So thanks very much. 
Absolutely. I agree. Um, and it was great to have this conversation. Thanks so much for inviting me.